The Titans lost to the Colts 23-16, a pretty lackluster performance overall. We're going to break it all down right now. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, into a very sad edition of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media in partnership with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. And Justin, I don't want to say you called it because we both predicted a Titans win, but you did harp on it pretty hard the last couple episodes, I think, about how the Titans under Mike Vrabel have failed to string together good performances and uh, Sunday was no exception they failed to string together a good performance after destroying the Bengals who looked pretty good yesterday also but uh, here we are Titans lose 23-16 what's up yeah it's exactly as I feared right even uh, you said it I mean even when I predicted a win I think you could hear the doubt in my voice when I said I'm going to believe that they can do it I'm going to choose to believe that they could do it Uh, I was skeptical all week. I wrote an article on it for Broadway Sports. Literally, the headline was, can the Titans follow up a good performance with another good performance? And in that article, I was probably very harsh, but I argued that they didn't do it a single time last year in 2022. And again, I'm going to criticize myself because in my opinion, I kind of think they only played two good games last year. And, And that's very harsh for a team that won seven But I chose to argue that that five-game winning streak was not very impressive, right? All those close, hard-fought victories where they scored 16, 17 points and beat a bunch of bad teams. I think the Colts twice, the Texans, the Raiders. I didn't consider any of those to be good performances. This year, they were 0-1 in such situations, right? Following the Chargers stinker with the Browns stinker. 0-1, small sample size, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, again, harsh saying they only played two good games last year and they didn't follow up one with the other. Um, but here we are, 0-2 now in such situations. I believe it's it's a theme. I believe it's a theme that's been going on for more than a year. And, uh, boy, that was really, really ugly on Sunday. Yeah, Mike Vrabel said something after the game like, you can't win one, lose one, win one, lose one in this league because that's how you end up 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight and barely in or not in at all, miss, missing the playoffs or limping in by winning a weak division. And that's where the Titans are right now. They're a totally week-to-week team, no consistency, and it's going to be an issue down the stretch. But I, I go back to what we talked about after the Browns loss. And again, I tweeted something like this, but the Titans are giving me whiplash because after the Browns loss, I was like, Time to bench Tannehill. Let's see what we got in the rookies. Not because I think they give the Titans a better chance to win, but just because this is not going to be a Super Bowl season, so you might as well find out what your future looks like now. After last week's game, it was like, oh, hey, maybe we don't need to do that because maybe the Titans can put something together here. Maybe they can go on a little run and improve as the season goes on. And then after yesterday's game, yesterday wasn't like an ass whooping from the Colts. The Titans were just, I think, lackluster is the best way to put it. And if... I had to boil this game down to two reasons they lost. Christian Fulton doesn't make my list. We're going to talk about Christian Fulton in a second and how much he's struggling right now. But the two things that really this game boils down to, for me, the red zone offense, they go one for four in the red zone on Sunday. They're now one for 10 
in the red zone in their two losses, in their three losses combined. So scoring points when you get close to the end zone has got to be a huge priority for this team. And then the other thing is the run defense. They've, their run defense was putrid on Sunday, the worst we've seen in over two years, I think. They've had some moments, even when they were the number one run defense all throughout last year and, and so far through 2023 until yesterday's game, until Sunday's game, where they gave up big plays, they gave up explosive runs. But And even after Zach Moss had that 50-something yard touchdown run, I thought, okay, that's happened before to this run defense, but then they usually tighten up, and it's you tighten up. Keep saying that. It's usually one of those things where they like, if you take out that one big run, the running back averaged 1.8 yards per carry or something. Well, yesterday was absolutely not the case. Zach Moss ran on them. He had the long run and then he was churning out solid gains throughout. So the Colts only went one for five in the red zone. So if you're comparing red zone like opportunities, the Titans were 25% touchdown rate. The Colts were 20% touchdown rate. The Colts won by a touchdown. So that's why I don't want to put it all on red zone success. Because the run defense, really, the Colts got the ball back with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter after the Titans failed to convert that fourth and one near the goal line. And the Titans didn't get the ball back until there was one minute left in the game. That was the run defense. If they had gotten the stop with four minutes left, with three minutes left, with two minutes left, you feel way better about the Titans' chances. I think three or four minutes left, you can still run the ball. You can mix in some play action. You don't have to just attack down the field and try to go score in four plays, which is essentially what the Titans were left with. So run red zone offense. If they score another touchdown at some point in the game, they're not in the position they're in at the end where they need to get a stop. And then run defense. If they're able to get off the field at some point earlier in that last Colts possession, they had a better, a much better chance to win the game. I mean, it's so disheartening, right, for a team to get the ball back with eight minutes left and just essentially run out the entire clock. Like, I saw people complaining about the Titans' final drive, Tannehill's interception. I'm like, it like doesn't whatever. matter. They got the ball back yeah. with a minute and no timeouts. Like, they were never going to go down the field and score. Like You have to that. take those aggressive chances, and if you throw an interception, then whatever, you would already lost the game. Right. Like, it was that defensive drive. And, and honestly, though, it placed an appropriate bow on what was a putrid, pathetic effort by the team, by <laughs> yeah. especially the run defense all game long, right? Like it felt like what they deserved. It felt like what they were working towards. And what's so disheartening about it is, isn't that what the Titans would like to do? Isn't that the identity they would like to have, right? To be a team that's playing with a small lead, a couple, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter and try to run out as much clock as you can. And it's so rare they've been on the opposite end of that because they've had such a good run defense but what a putrid effort. I mean, I'm going to round off some of the numbers. I 56-yard touchdown run, yes, but they still totaled 193 yards. I mean, you take away those 56, they're still well over 100, right? They're into the 130s, essentially. So 193 rushing yards. Zach Moss, 23 carries for 165 yards and two touchdowns, 7.2 yards per carry. And again, I know <laughs> it's somewhat inflated by the 56-yard score, but take Not it that away, much. you still had a really effective day, right? And <laughs> Not that inflated. <laughs> right? Like, for real, it doesn't feel like inflated because gaining five, six, seven yards every carry, right. it felt like, right? And and let me be clear, and I don't mean any disrespect, but Zach Moss is not a good NFL running back. He's just not. Like, he's off to a, a, a good start this year. I get it. But we saw what he was in Buffalo for several years. We saw what he was in Indianapolis last year. Like, he's not a great, he's a 4.2 yard per carry average runner throughout the course of his career. And in my opinion, he's always been a high threes, a 3.9, 3.8 yard per carry kind of runner. He's a bit of a plotter that does, like, I was shocked he broke away 
on that 56 yard right. run. I'm like, are they really not going to catch him from behind? Cause it's, it didn't look like he was moving all that quickly. So yeah. uh, just a putrid effort. And I want to talk about tier tart, uh, you know, how much they, they seemingly missed him in this game. Um, but it's crazy to me because I, you you feel like even without him, and we haven't really seen them without him for a, a long stretches, but here you were, but without him, you feel like Jeffrey Simmons is a quality run defender. You feel like Dina Kowatri is a quality run defender. Harold Landry has typically been a, a good dual threat defender, right? That can rush the passer and stuff the run. And Jack Gibbons is starting not because he's an athletic linebacker that defends the pass, because he's a bit of a two-down two plotter that can come downhill and attack gaps, right, and stuff the run at yeah. the line of scrimmage. So uh, I, I love T.R. Tart, but I was really shocked at I, I, how bad they looked without him. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I can't believe that one player, like I I joked with, with somebody about this yesterday. <clears throat> I didn't realize T.R. Tart was the MVP of the defense. And right. his absence yesterday might be his best argument for a new contract and a high value new contract that I've seen yet this year. And and I want to put it into perspective a little bit of how they've sort of treated T.R. Tart throughout these last couple months, right? It's interesting, right? Okay, look, they did the right thing. They slapped him with a second-round tender, right? As a UDF, former UDFA, he didn't have a lot of leverage. You felt like maybe there was a mini holdout there. It, he switched agents now twice. So he's on his third agent of his young career, tier Tarn, wow. right? Um, no leverage. He ends up signing the second-round tender. He's playing for $4.3 million this year. It's funny to think of now because when they slapped him with that tender, it's like, no team's going to pay a second round pick for a, a run stopper, right? Or primarily a, a first, second down run stopper. He had no leverage. He signed a tender. Well, now he's looking pretty damn underpaid, right? And you feel like they, they probably want to resign him in the offseason. They're going to have a ton of cap space. He's probably worth at least seven, eight million a year, I think you figure at this point. But back on topic of how they've treated him, right? That situation, of course, left a sour taste in his mouth. They did the right thing, right? The business is business. They did what was best for them. Uh, throughout the summer, Terrell Williams, Mike Vrabel, how much did they try to sell to us that he was in a position battle with Jaden Peavy for the starting right. job? We all bought into that. By the way, it's we're recording this on Monday. They just cut Jaden Peavy from the practice squad, I think for the second time this year, right? And they've cut him yeah. from the 53-man roster. So what comparison was there between Jaden Peavy and Tier Tart, right? Not, non-existent, none. Uh, and the other day, if you listen to Terrell Williams during a press conference, it was out on the field. Uh, it sounded like he took a shot at T.R. Tart, right? When they asked about T.R. Tart's availability, he said, oh, I don't know. You got to talk to Mike Vrabel and Tart about that. He's been good when he's been out there, but you got to talk to them. Like, it didn't sound like a ringing endorsement for one of their better defensive line players. Now, look, I'm not going to criticize him too much because I get the impression that all of this is done strategically. You know, I don't know. I'm not saying he is or isn't. Maybe he's difficult. Maybe he's a difficult player to deal with. Maybe he's difficult in the locker room, right? It just seems like they're constantly trying to, uh, I don't want to say berate, but undermine him, right? Like he's in a he's in a starting position, a battle with a guy that's not even on the practice squad now, right? A, position to, a positional battle to start. We're not going to give him the contract that he wants. We're going to down, we're going to talk kind of bad about him, throw shade his way which again was done just a couple days ago by Terrell Williams. Meanwhile, when they don't have him in there, they're letting guys like Zach Moss run for 170 yards per game. I thought it was very, very interesting uh, observation I've made. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I do think like if I had to pick just one of these two things we're talking about, red zone offense versus run defense, 
I think run defense is the bigger culprit, and it all comes down to the situation that this, you know, the way this game unfolded, and the Colts having that opportunity to run seven it minutes off the clock. I'm sorry, not to cut you off, but it also comes down to our expectations. In all honesty, right? I because guess so. We expect the run defense to be really good. None of us are shocked when they only score 16, 17 points and struggle in the red zone, right? So no, it's that's like true. the offense deserves some. I mean, 16 points isn't going to win you a ton of games in the NFL, right? It's just not. Even even with the Titans defense, it's not going to win you a ton of games. So they deserve some blame, and I know you want to assign it for the red zone offense. So we'll get into that. But I do find it interesting how much more upset we are, and generally the whole Titans fan base is at the run defense versus the offense and it boils down to expectations that was shocking the red zone offense struggles are not shocking well it's also because you can win a game in the nfl going one for four in the red zone and the colts in this game went one for five as i mentioned so like that is a reason like if you convert in the red zone you're a lot harder to beat but if you can't stop the other team when you need the ball back to go get points and you're down by four, and then it becomes down by seven with one minute to go, like that to me is just, it's not just expectation. It's like, if you look around the NFL, plenty of teams won on Sunday with a low red zone conversion rate, but when the defense is also struggling, it's like, if the offense plays well and the defense plays poorly, you can win a football game. If the offense plays poorly, but your defense plays well, you can win a game. If the offense can't score points and the defense can't stop anybody, you're never going to win a game. And that's, I feel like, the situation, at least in the fourth quarter, the Titans were in on Sunday. I do want to get a little bit further into the red zone offense struggles here. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, because... So I look at the Titans offense, and and it's just it always comes down to this argument. Is it about the play calling and the plan and the scheme, or is it about execution? And I think we can point to both in this game. The Titans had chances in the red zone. I look at Ryan Tannehill targeting Nick Westbrook-Akina in the back of the end zone. Akina has a step on his defender, Julius Brents, and underthrows it. Akina has no chance to come over. He would have had to do the Nate Washington against Detroit catch from so many years ago to have a shot at that one or what Chris Moore did essentially a couple weeks ago um, to have a chance to catch that ball. He would have had to come through the defender over the top. So an underthrown ball, that's poor execution, right? But I also think about DeAndre Hopkins, who multiple drives, DeAndre Hopkins is the engine of the between the 20s offense where they're just feeding him between the 20s. He's finding holes in the zone. He's beating man coverage. He gets them down to right near or inside the red zone on multiple drives. DeAndre Hopkins' only red zone target, guess who threw the ball on that play? It wasn't Ryan Tannehill. It was Derrick Henry, right? And that's also an an execution example because that play was there. And, I mean, you don't want to, like, blame Derrick Henry for overthrowing a ball by literally an inch because that's how far DeAndre Hopkins' foot was out of bounds on that play. But, like, but still, if they execute, I mean, like, they, they didn't execute yeah. it. Like, like they right. should, it should have been a touchdown. Right, exactly. It was drawn up well. It was schemed well, but then it wasn't there. But then I also wonder, like, why are there not more plays designed, like, as a quick hitter to DeAndre Hopkins or as a fade route to DeAndre Hopkins? Like, some sort of... Some sort of play that takes advantage of his skill set, which is to be physical, to out-physical the defense, to have extremely strong hands and body control to be able to make those kinds of catches in the corner of the end zone, even though he barely didn't get his foot down on that Henry pass, the running back pass play. But my point is like that that is a little bit of sort of the plan. It's It's more execution still, I think. And then there's the fourth and one play where we've been ta- I've been talking about it on this YouTube channel, on this podcast. You you bring all of your heavy personnel in tight to the line of scrimmage. 
you invite extra defenders. The Titans are in shotgun with 10 out of 11 of their offensive players in between the tackle box. And the Colts respond by completely loading up the defensive line of scrimmage. They had like eight bodies on the line of scrimmage on that play. And the guy who made the tackle, yes, they ran straight up to Forrest Buckner, which you, I feel like you never want to do in a crucial one-yard situation. But the real reason they didn't make that one yard that Henry got stopped was because they didn't have enough blockers to account for the Colts defender. The Colts linebacker, Zaire Franklin, runs in untouched and tackle, meets Henry in the hole and tackle. Like, is Henry supposed to power his way through a linebacker that runs untouched through the hole and meets him in the backfield? Like, is that the, the play design? Like, sometimes they draw it up where it's like, just give your running back one man to beat. And usually when you do that, it's a cornerback because you have to make cornerbacks tackle in this league. on the edge, yeah. But yeah, exactly. This one was like through the B gap or C gap. It was off the, the right edge there. And uh, just nobody blocked the linebacker because there are so many bodies on the defense there. They didn't have the numbers advantage. So for that one, I'm like, why are you running the ball right at DeForest Buckner out of shotgun from a tight set where you're inviting extra defenders into the box that you can't block? That one really bothered me. I love the decision to go for it on fourth down. And if you look at this game and the ultimate result of this game, this is the Saints game all over again, only slightly different. Because against the Saints, it was four minutes to go down by one point, and it was like fourth and five, fourth and six. So a little bit different situation. This game, you're down by four points. Uh, you It's fourth and one, and there's still eight minutes to go. So if you're wondering why Variable is inconsistent with his fourth down decision-making in the red zone, I think there's a lot of factors that are different in this instance. I like and- the decision to go for it. I hate that play call in that moment against that defense. If you had been running really well all day, if you're getting pushed right. every every time and you're running for four or five yards a clip with Henry, then yeah, I get it. But you haven't been getting pushed. You have a couple runs that maybe got something more than it looked like they would get. Man, that play call really hurt to watch. And ultimately, that was the last real offensive snap of the game for the Titans because after that, it was the one-minute drive where they're just trying to get down the field as fast as they can with no timeouts and score a touchdown, not even a field goal. So, Yeah, and... I have no problems with the decision either. I, I think, as you said, because a number one, say they kick the field goal uh, in that situation. What changes? Do they get the ball back? I mean, it didn't look like it, right? Well, we, but based on what we saw in the next Colts drive from there, right, where they took off eight. And think about it. And that one, that drive started backed up, right? And they still marched down the field. Titans kick the field goal, kick off. Colts get the ball at the twenty-five, whatever. Titans aren't touching the ball again, it seems, right? So no problem with the Mike Grable decision. Um, on the run play, DeForest Buckner blew up Chris Hubbard, by the way. If you seen the end zone yeah, angle, totally blew him up, got initial penetration. But as you said, a poorly designed play, a, poor, a poorly designed situation, because I feel like you took the words out of my mouth. If you had been running the ball well all day, potentially a different story. But no, you'd been losing the line of scrimmage battle on both sides of the ball all day long. Right. And I I feel like they overly relied on sort of what their mantra is. Right. And that is we've got the best running back in football and Derrick Henry. We our coach. We've taken on the identity of our coach. We are a physical team that wins the line of scrimmage. When we need to get one yard, we can get one yard. We're going to get a hat on a hat and get a yard. But as you said, you can't even get a hat on a hat in that play design because you're outnumbered in the box. Right. And that's what happened. And. As much as I understand that that's their mantra, again, best running back, physical, we're going to get a yard when we need a yard. I think it was that play. Correct me if I'm wrong. You said 10 of 11, right? Tight to the line of scrimmage. Who was the one? You had DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, I believe it was, man coverage, right? One guy out there, I think, right? Was it one guy out there? 
I'm going to double check while you're talking. Keep going. One guy out there, DeAndre Hopkins versus, I think it was Brent's. I think it was Brent's. One-on-one. Hopkins has been torching them all day long. What was it? Seven, eight catches, 130, 140 receiving or whatever he had. I'll tell you really quick. Let me stop you there. Eight catches, 140 yards, 53% of the Titans' total receiving yards, and it would be more if you count the passing yards because Tannehill took one sack there. He also counted for 40% of the team's total offensive yards by himself. And yes, he is one-on-one. He's he's in he's not in a very wide split on this alignment. And they right. also motioned Chris Moore across the line of scrimmage, which brought a defender closer to Hopkins. But... Yeah, he doesn't even go for a route. He doesn't even block. He just kind of stands there and watches Henry get taken down in the backfield. I'm looking at the play right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I get your point. Like, Hopkins has been dominating. Right. Check that play. You see the defense all stacked up right there? Check it to a Hopkins. Run a, run to the corner of the end zone, and I'm just going to throw the ball up there, and you go make a play, man. Like, yeah, I don't on, know. On that fourth down play, that formation, everything I saw, the way the game was unfolding, the way they could. And I said it, didn't I say it before the game at some point? Like, who are their corners? Like, they're going to be relying on who? Jalen Jones and Juju Brents, two rookies to cover DeAndre Hopkins. He should have a big game. And he did have a big game. And in that situation, I know you've got Derrick Henry, but the way the game was unfolding, uh, I'm, I'm trying to put the ball in DeAndre Hopkins' hands on that fourth and one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look at you. I don't know if you watched the early morning game out here on the West Coast, 6.30 a.m. kickoff for the Jags uh, I did Bills game. The last play, basically, yes. of the game for I the Jags. I know what you're going to say. So Trevor Lawrence comes out. It's like third and four with, what, a minute to go, something like that. I um, think longer. I think it was a bit more, longer than that. Third and six. Um, they're, they're in a clock-killing situation with a five-point lead or whatever, and... They have a run play called. This is what they said after the game. They have a run play called. They come up to the line of, line of scrimmage, third and six. Trevor Lawrence sees zero coverage on the outside with Calvin Ridley, single coverage, man-to-man. And he says, I'm going to check this play. This was all on Trevor Lawrence, checking the play from the run to that pass, throwing it up, trusting his receiver. Calvin Ridley makes a great catch at the sideline, seals the game for the Jags. Dang they went on to score another touchdown, which they didn't need at all. They should have, I mean, Travis Etienne should have slid down and they should have run out the clock because in football, you know, you give the other team the ball, there's a chance that Bill score onside kick score again, which they could have taken they away almost the possibility did. of. But, <laughs> they almost yeah, came down with the onside kick. But uh, anyway, the point is there, um, the quarterback sees something he sees an advantage with his number one receiver. He makes a check and and is confident in his guy and delivers a good pass and his guy makes a play for him. I wish the Titans would do that once in a while, especially, yeah, when we talk about how well DeAndre Hopkins played. Um, do you want to move on and talk about Christian Fulton here? Because that's the last topic on my mind. Yeah, I was going to say, let's get into Fulton and uh, much like the Titans, get out of here. Yeah, right. So Christian Fulton targeted five times, gave up four catches for 82 yards, but really what what was the biggest issue with Fulton was the two penalties. And Paul Kuharski posted a clip from the All-22 of Christian Fulton tackling a receiver downfield on another play that was not flagged. So could have been three penalties. What is wrong with Christian Fulton? I mean, before we get into what's wrong with him, I want to address a lot of people are wondering how a defensive back can get run over by an offensive player and it be called defensive pass interference. Well, I'm going to tell you how. It was the exact same thing. Remember I brought this up on the pregame show? The freaking A.J. Brown play from the Eagles game last year. And I said, Nick Sirianni saw that. He knows what's up. He ran the same route. It was Alec Pierce, I think, running an out and up 
So it's a double move play because you're you're getting the defensive back to bite down on the out route and then you turn it up field. It was A.J. Brown in Philadelphia last year running the out and up. Christian Fulton is over-aggressive. He bites on the out fake. And this is why it's defensive pass interference. If Christian Fulton stays in phase with the receiver and stays with his outside leverage using the sideline to his advantage and doesn't crash hard downhill, when he impedes the receiver's route by running downhill at him or even running sideways into him, because he's out of position, because he fell for the fake, that's going to be a penalty on the defense every single time. I know it looks like, well, what is he supposed to do? The offensive player is running right through him. Well, he's not supposed to run into the path of the offensive player. He's supposed to be in his hip pocket, staying in phase, not biting on a double move. And if you want to know what that looks like, check out my film breakdown from the defensive blitz packages that's posted from last week's game because Sean Murphy Bunting defended an out and up against Jamar Chase perfectly. Textbook coverage. Doesn't bite on the out route gets ready to back up and and backpedal upfield and turn and run with the receiver in phase and not let them get behind you and not make them run through you, which is a penalty on you because you're out of position. If he was in position and the receiver pushes through him like Chigakonkwo did, which was also the right call, even though it was a little soft, like that's the difference there is, is the receiver initiating contact or is the defender running into his path and then getting knocked down. So anyway, it was definitely defensive pass interference on Fulton. Why did the Titans not bench him? Because Mike Vrabel said they thought about it. They should have done it. They should have done it sooner. They should have benched him. Whether it's to send a message, like, you're in a contract year, bro. You're supposed to be our number one corner. And you're consistently getting beat. The one play that I posted a close-up replay of with Michael Pittman running the, like, in-and-out sort of, like, fake slant uh, corner route thing that he did where Fulton completely bites inside despite the yep. fact that he has inside help. Like, bro, play your leverage, use your help, use the sideline to your advantage and use your inside help. Don't get caught so out of position. And then he's like trying to reach and grab and turn the receiver because he gets beat so bad. Like, why didn't they bench this guy when they had the chance? Because on that last drive, his huge pass interference penalty kept the drive going when it was third and 12 and they had the chance to get off the field. That ruined it for them. And the the refs made the right pl- the right call with the rub route against Indianapolis. They actually missed one of those, like two plays before that, that they should have flagged for the rub route offensive pass interference. On the third and two, they flagged it. It's third and 12. Titans looking to get off the field. And Christian Fulton commits another penalty downfield, which gives them a huge gain and a fresh set of downs with like three or four minutes left in the game. Well, you hit the nail on the head. The one point I wanted to bring up was... Um, when Vrabel talked about potentially benching him, he mentioned at halftime, I think coaching him right on, on, on the technique and, and how to handle those situations to not bite. Right. And what did he do? It was specifically not just on the penalty, but on the one, the, the, the fake slant out route that you mentioned, he bit when he's not supposed to, yep. he had the inside, he had the inside help. As you said, he bit, got beat again, ignoring the coaching staff's advice essentially. Right. Right. Now, I'm going to paint a bleak picture for you. First of all, uh, have you noticed his dad on Twitter? I think a lot of people yeah. have. His dad responded to me. I didn't know it was his dad. Not so, wasn't so bad with me. Uh, but he re- I had tweeted, uh, there's like a negative, and I just typed a bunch of numbers, and the Titans <laughs> re-signed Christian Full in this offseason. And his dad responded, change of scenery is good. Yeah. And uh, a ton responded to a ton of tweets from Mike Herndon, who was dogging. Mike said, right leave himself. Christian Fulton in Indianapolis. And his dad responded, with your mom. <laughs> Yeah, stay, leave Indianapolis with my look at that. Mike Herndon's mom, hold up. Like, that's just great with Christian Fold. That is just a ridiculous thing to say. And uh, all kidding aside, extremely 
uh, obviously immature. Uh, the parents should always stay out of it. I hate parents who get overly involved in their son's career, daughter's career, whatever. I hate when they get overly involved. But the one that struck me, the reply to me, change of scenery is good. Probably coming from the inside, right? It doesn't sound like Christian's very excited about being in Tennessee and can't wait for this year to be over. I think both parties can't wait for this year to be over so they can go uh, their separate ways. He's just not playing good football right now. Uh, I know he was bad against New Orleans, bad against Cleveland. I think this was his worst game of the season by far, right? Based on all the penalties and the big gains and ignoring the coach. Like, it's just, let's, let's call it what it is too. Like, this might be a sentimental point of view, but it's not. It's a guy that's pressing, right? It's a guy who knows he's in a contract year. It reeks of desperation. It's not just a contract year. It's a guy who knows he's not playing well and he's not in the good graces of the coaching staff, the fan base, yada, yada. He is dying to make a big play, right? He is dying right. to, to, to hope that he's not biting when he's coming inside. He's hoping the quarterback's throwing it so he could pick it off and score a touchdown. How quickly would that get him back in the good graces, especially of the fan base, right? Like that's what he's hoping for. He's pressing, he's pressing at the cost of technique, right? He's pressing at the cost of his rules of how he's supposed to be playing and it's not falling his way and it's ugly. It's bad to see before we get out of here. I'm going to paint a really bleak picture. Uh, they don't get better by benching Christian Fulton. It's the reality of a dire situation. They do not have solutions on this roster that they're going to get better. And you know what really sucks about that? It's the same thing as the offensive tackle conversation that we could have. They have poured lots of resources into the position. Caleb Farley, first round pick. Roger McCreary, second round pick. Elijah Molden, top 100 uh, uh, overall pick. Sean Murphy Bunting on a one-year contract. Like They've poured resources into the position. They're just not that good. And Roger McCreary's playing well. I really like Roger McCreary. He's having a great sophomore year. Sean Murphy Bunting has really been well. a good player, a good free agency signing. Go ahead. Elijah Molden was the Titans' highest graded player, according to PFF. He's played well this year. But you know what the other problem is? Like, all three of them are kind of miscast on the boundary, right? Yeah. Like, you need, like, you're going to put Roger McCreary out there? As much as I love Roger no. McCreary. You're going to have five foot eleven, whatever, 30-inch armed Roger McCreary against six foot four Michael Pittman? Reality situation. That's why they got Christian Fulton out there. Or do you put Trey, dominate at the catch point. Or do you put Trey Avery in who gave up a hundred yards by himself to the Chargers the last time he saw the field? Like <laughs> Well, exactly. That's my point. Benching him does what? You're probably putting Trey Avery out there because they're not gonna put uh McCreary, Murphy, Bunting, and Molden as that they'd be the smallest trio of <laughs> secondary players in the NFL. Like they're not gonna you can't do it. You just can't. That's why they got Fulton out there. So the, the reality is if they were to do it, it would probably be Trey Avery, who, again, I he, I thought that game too. I thought he battled in that game, the one that you, you brought up. But the fact of the yeah. matter is he's not good enough where it's going to make a monumental difference. to the, Like there's still going to be a bad secondary that's going to give up a ton of shit through the air. It's the reality of the situation. So they don't have an in-house solution. Sure, they can bench Christian Fulton and send a message, but I don't think they're going to get better or it's going to be very marginally better where it's not even noticeable. So uh, I keep repeating it, but what the reality of the situation is, they need a new number one corner and they can't get one. They can't even try to get one. Sorry, they've tried multiple times and failed. They can't even try to get one until the offseason, whether it's through the first round of the NFL draft, where they're probably going to be picking a tackle again based on how things are looking out there, uh, or it's going to be a corner, right? One or the other. Those are the two in-house favorites. And it's two positions they've poured a ton of resources in, and they have failed time and time again at addressing those two positions. And it's a perfect snapshot of where they are as a franchise and why this roster is bad. It's because they keep failing at trying to get good players at positions yeah. of need. So yeah. this is where they're at. 
and there's no solution to corner, and there will not be one until the offseason. And this time, you hope they actually hit on it where they have failed multiple times. Yeah. Really quickly, last thing I want to talk about on the defensive side of the ball here. Titans missed five total tackles in this game. Aziz Alshire missed two of them. He also launched himself like a missile into Jeff Simmons' shoulder, and who knows how bad that's going to... Jeff Simmons came back and played through it, but clearly had some sort of stinger going on. Jeffrey Simmons led the team in total pressures with five. Next highest was Danico Autry with three. No one else had had more than one. And Travis Gibson had... Travis Gibson had one pressure on six pass rushing snaps. So this guy needs more pass rushing opportunities. Um, Titans, five lowest graded players on defense. Who do you think they were? Who do you think was the worst graded player on defense? It wasn't Christian Fulton. I'm going to go with either Arden Key or Harold Landry. No, neither of those guys were in the bottom five. Bottom five from the worst up. Worst, Jack Gibbons. Second worst, Jaleel Johnson. Third worst, Rashad Weaver. Fourth worst graded player on defense, according to Pro Football Focus, Jeffrey Simmons. Fifth worst, Christian Fulton. Then Harold Landry, then Arden Key. Five best graded players, Elijah Molden, Travis Gibson, number two, Amani Hooker, Danico Autry, Kevin Byard, number five, and then Roger McCreary. Sean Murphy Bunting was in the middle, although I don't know how they grade this stuff because he was targeted six times, only allowed three catches for 24 yards, only allowed one yard after catch, and had the most crucial tackle of the game, forcing Michael Pittman Jr. out of bounds before he was able to pick up that first down uh, late late there. So I don't know what how these PFF grades take him with a grain of salt. Jeffrey Simmons leads the team with five pressures, fourth worst graded player. But it was the missed tackles. I mean, the missed tackles are are hurting these guys' grades. Jeffrey Simmons, 27.1 tackling grade. That's really, really bad. Um, All this stuff so, yeah. is somewhat subjective. But now that you've mentioned them, I will say I'm not shocked Jack Gibbons is in there. Because again, as I mentioned earlier on this show... He's in there to stop the run. They gave up 200 rushing yards, right? So, and then Jaleel Johnson. I normally don't do this, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. Like a bad, bad football player. Like when <laughs> when I saw that they elevated him from the practice squad for this game, I was stunned that they elevated him ahead of Jaden Peavy. And I know we haven't seen a lot from Peavy, and they've now just flat out cut him from the practice yeah. squad. But I was surprised that they elevated Jaleel Johnson ahead of PB because I thought Johnson was horrible during the preseason this past year. Horrible. And there's a reason he's a veteran journeyman and uh, he was terrible in this game. And uh, I don't even know the guy's name. Doesn't matter. They just signed the new D tackle to the practice squad as of this recording, a six year veteran. Uh, that goes to show you what they thought of Jaleel Johnson's performance because chances are if TR Tart misses the next game uh, in London, they're not going to be elevating Jaleel Johnson again. It'll be this guy that they just signed to the practice squad. That's a veteran, but I thought Jaleel Johnson was terrible. Why I said Arden key, uh, I thought was going to be in the bottom five. I, maybe I got to watch the all 22. Didn't notice him once. Don't think I noticed one him rushing pressure. the passer once. And you know one, what? That was a backup. I'm sorry. Go ahead. One pressure from key. Exactly. So I didn't notice that. So I missed one pressure, right? That's what I missed. And who knows how they define that pressure, right? We'd have to see it for ourselves how much of a pressure it really was. Uh, by the way, that was a backup left tackle he was going against, a mid-rounder out of BYU. What's the kid's name? I was a huge fan pre-draft. Pounded the table for the Titans. To dra- Blake Freeland, that's who it was. I was a huge fan pre-draft. I think he was a top 70 player for me. I said in my scouting report that I published on broadwaysportsmedia.com that he's an outstanding fit for outside zone and what the Titans want to run. And I, I like not to toot my own horn, but a couple of guys that I really liked 
throughout the pre-draft process. Josh Downs, Blake Freeland, both had huge games against them. Two players they could really use right now, right? A tackle and a wide receiver. And Blake Freeland, that's very impressive to come in off the bench the way he did. I mean, off the bench. He knew he was starting because the starting left tackle was hurt. But you know what I mean? He's a yeah. mid-round tackle starting a game as a rookie, fourth, fifth week of the season against a, a, a supposed vaunted Titans defensive line. And he held Arden Key in check all game long. Super impressed with Blake Freeland. Don't, they haven't taken these types recently. I've always been surprised. These mid-round, super athletic tackles that are a great fit for what they want to do. I talked about one in Buffalo a couple of years ago. He's doing okay, Spencer Brown. Uh, they drafted Dylan Radins that year instead. And I talked about Blake Freeland a lot as well throughout this pre-draft process and a uh, couple of missed opportunities to get guys that fit their identity in the middle rounds at positions of need. And um, Arden Key's got to be able to beat Blake Freeland though, right? Yeah, he's got to be. And and you mentioned that he could use a wide receiver there. Last thing I want to say, shout out to the Titans wide receiving core of uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Nick Westbrook, Akina, and Kyle Phillips, who combined for nine catches for 149 yards. DeAndre Hopkins had eight catches for 140 yards. So <laughs> You said it. But the three of them, they combined for nine for 149. That's pretty good. They, they are essentially wasting DeAndre Hopkins, who's still a very good receiver on this team. But I can't help but chuckle and think, God, can you imagine if they didn't sign him? Oh, my. Yeah, the the offense would be. I mean, <laughs> the offense is bad. Imagine He's how bad it would be. four points a game. Yeah, yeah. All right, that will do it for this episode. Anything else you want to say about this game? No, uh, hopefully people tune in uh, and listen to this. Uh, if they don't, we we kind of understand, right? You're probably pretty upset at them right now. We did our best. Uh, we'll be back later this week to preview the Ravens game. We got a great guest coming on as per usual to help us do that. And, and hopefully we'll be able to locate some signs of optimism as the Titans get ready to head across the pond. Yeah. Shout out to Kyle Phillips for making his season debut. Zero catches on one target and almost died on a punt return. I mean, every time this kid returns a punt, it looks like he's taking the biggest hit that the NFL has dealt out for the year. Um, all right, Titans, yes, you mentioned it. In London next week. Kind of weird that they're not traveling till Thursday while the Ravens are traveling on Monday. Hopefully that doesn't come back to bite them. We saw how bad the Bills looked after the Jags spent a whole week in London and the Bills traveled that, on Thursday. That is weird. Because, look, I'm not a professional athlete, but let me just add real quickly. Uh, as some of you may know, I think we talked about, I had, I, I went to Portugal earlier this summer. It hasn't even been two months since I got home. And I believe the time difference between Portugal and, uh, well, I, I guess I, I, I can't compare because they're on central, but it's very similar. The difference that I was dealing with time difference and the time difference the times will be dealing with when they get there. And the time difference between Portugal and Toronto at the time was not big at all. When I got there it was four hours and I thought, wow, that's not much at all. I was shocked at how many days, two, three days it took my body to adjust to that time difference. So I think the fact that they're getting there on Thursday is very weird. Again, they're professional athletes. Maybe it doesn't matter, but I would think it'll be at least till Saturday when they're like, oh shit, like I'm kind of on London time now. And before they know it, you got to go out there and play a game. I guarantee you that's why the Ravens are traveling early in the week. Give themselves more time to adjust to the time difference. Because I'm telling you, if you've never been to Europe, it is a bitch to adjust to that time difference. So that's why the Ravens are traveling early. Yeah, Travis Etienne talked about this after the game. And he said something really interesting. I kind of want to read the quote. I know we're supposed to be wrapping up here. But this was like... This is worth reading if I can find it in the next two seconds. And if I can't, then we'll just forget about it. Um, Okay, never mind. He said something like, 
I knew how we felt last week playing in our first game here in London when we still were feeling the jet lag and the difference this week. I, I think that gave us a real edge over the Bills, who I knew must have been feeling today how we felt last week. So, And they've been going real. there for years. Jackson, yeah. they've been going there right. for years. So, so okay, you know what? Then I'm going to rescind all the kind things I said about professional athletes because I hit the nail on the head. That jet lag, that time difference, it, it's tough. It's tough to adjust to. So you're get, they're getting there on Thursday. If I had to wager a guess, you're probably not you know, feeling a little bit better until Saturday. And then you got to go out first thing Sunday morning and play that game immediately. So uh, I think the Ravens are the much smarter team here traveling on the Tuesday. Hopefully we eat our words. We'll see how that game plays out. But uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to travel on the Thursday. Yeah, the good news is Whiplash Titans will swing right back around next week and beat the Ravens 30-6 to with their first 30-point game in like 100 games or something like that. It'll be 36-2 Titans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, that does it for this episode. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. Make sure you are subscribed to the Music City Audible YouTube channel. We passed 1,000 subscribers. That was our goal from a few weeks ago. I said it on the podcast. That was our goal. We hit 1,000. Next goal is 2,000. We need your help. Get out there. Hit that subscribe button. We appreciate everyone who tunes into this show, but especially the people who tune in on YouTube. So check us out there if you're not already. All right, we'll be back later this week to preview the Ravens game in London, and hopefully the Titans can get back on track there. That'll do it. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.